All right, and hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Walkthrough. Uh, might be our last episode here on podcast platforms, as I believe both of us are planning on returning to Columbia here within the next week before our next show on Sunday. So uh, take a look and take a listen on KCOU 88.1 FM next Sunday at the normal showtime of 11 a.m. Because uh, we will be back in the studio. Uh, but for now, we're here on podcast platforms, and I'm once again joined by my co-host, Nick Catlin, coming from Kansas City. Nick, how are you today? I'm in Columbia. I came back yesterday. Oh, you're in Columbia? I'm in Columbia. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't say, but yeah, that's, yeah, I had to drive. I drove back yesterday morning before the games, and I've been here. How is it there? Oh, it's good. I mean, it's it's pretty good to, to be back in in the city. I mean, it's it's nice. It's nice. Ready for the next semester, pretty much. Yeah, uh, it should be good. I believe I'll be traveling back on Friday, so I will be here in time for football next weekend. But yeah, with, without any further ado, let's get right into it. Uh, we'll talk first about our upset picks from last week, um, and Nick, I'll let you cover that. And yeah, my upset pick was wrong in the big Monday matchup. I picked Oklahoma State to beat ranked West Virginia. They had the lead for most of the game, blew their lead, and lost by three. And then yours was incorrect, picking the Bears over their heated rival Packers. They got blown out. And what did you think of that game? That's that's a nice segue. They needed a win to secure a playoff spot, and they did not play as well as you would have hoped. So, I mean, in all honesty, I, I wasn't – too upset with the way that game went if you look at it if you look at it and you watch that game I'm not sure if you watched that whole game or not Bears played pretty well throughout three quarters they held the ball they kept it together pretty well and then there was that one drive I forget if it was late in the third or early in the fourth where they had it they converted a couple of fourth downs on it and then they at the end of the drive were not able to get points uh and uh turn the ball over on downs back to Green Bay and that was just the turning point in the game. Green Bay just ran away with it, with it from there and scored, you know, three touchdowns in, in the last couple of minutes or something there to end up end it being in a blowout. But if you looked at it through like three quarters or so, really wasn't that bad of a game played by the Bears. They pretty much played right with them for for a lot of it. Yeah, and and I, I would agree with you on that. I don't think I watched the whole game, but I did have it up and it was my primary uh viewing attention before I passed out watching the game. But yeah, I was impressed with David Montgomery. I thought he played pretty pretty well for them. I think he could definitely him with the one touchdown, only sixty nine yards. So he didn't he didn't rush as much as you may have hoped if they were going to beat the Packers. But Aaron Rodgers is just playing on a whole nother level this year. Quite possibly the MVP of the league. He added four touchdowns in to that already incredible resume. So it's going to be pretty far fetched to see this Bears team beat them, anyways, in my opinion. Well, we'll have to see if they win this week, they'll get them again next week. So, uh, so, so yeah. So, uh, but yeah, no, and you're up to pick that game. No, that game didn't end in a buzzer beater, did it? I was thinking, no, Texas. I'm, ta- I'm thinking, of, I'm thinking of Texas and West Virginia, aren't I? Yeah, that happened yesterday, I think. Interesting. Interesting. Big Oklahoma State guy. <laughs> trying to be, trying to be. All right, well, let's get into last Sunday, shouldn't we? Yes, sir. All right, uh, Steph Curry dropped 62 points on the Portland Trail Blazers in a 137-100 to 100 
2022 win. This performance by Steph Curry shows that he really can be the guy and really can do it all even without uh, help from a lot of his other players. You did see a couple of guys chip in with Andrew Wiggins with 21, Kelly Oubre with 17, and Eric Pascal with 10 off the bench. But really, this was the Steph Curry show. And uh, he shows that he can beat, you know, even a team like the Portland Trailblazers, who's a team we've seen go to the Western Conference Finals in the past couple of years. And, and, and they were at full strength. You saw Damian Lillard out there. You saw C.J. McCollum out there uh, on Nurkic and everybody else. And, and, and Steph just was better than them. Yeah, Steph was better than them. And he showed why he is the greatest shooter of all time. Once again, in this performance, a career high for him. He shot the ball incredibly well. He played incredibly well. And he just showed that he's he's still the man. He's still that number one point guard in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he was playing against, you know, two of the better shooters in the NBA with, with Lillard and, and McCollum. And, you know, he he played better than both of them. And he scored, you know, it's it's incredible to score 62 points in, in 36 minutes. And the crazy part about it is he shot 18 of 31 for the game, which is incredible percentage when you shoot as many jump shots as he does you know he's not he's not a he's not one of those guys that is you know big drive to the basket and lay it in and that kind of stuff as much as he you know is pulling up from the perimeter going eight for 16 from three uh and it's it's just pretty incredible to to watch him go and also one more thing before we move on from this game if we're going to move on from this game i just want to touch on james wiseman a little bit we said we talked about this uh in a previous episode of the show but he's been pretty impressive to me so far this season, I'd say. You know, he, he isn't supposed to be, you know, the guy there in Golden State. They have Steph Curry. They have other big playmakers to work around with him. But, you know, he's been, he's been coming in. You know, in this game, he went 6 of 9. He chipped in 12 points. Uh, and he played 22 minutes. And he, and he you know, added 11 rebounds and played pretty well. And I think that's a big piece for them moving forward. What do you think? No, I think he totally is. I think they could build around Wiseman, Clay, and Steph for the foreseeable future. We'll see how Clay rehabs his ruptured Achilles, but those three could win a championship together, especially if Wiseman can continue to improve because he is such a young talent. And he's the reason it's so impressive that he's played so well, in my opinion, is because he only played a couple, really a handful of college games and then just made this jump pretty much from high school, basically. So I've been really impressed with him. Yeah, and as as you as you touched on, you know, this is a, this is a big three that could win a championship. They haven't had that third guy since Kevin Durant left, and even with Kevin Durant when they had him, they didn't have that dominant big man that they have been looking for to you know add on to Steph and Clay for a long time. And and this might be their answer for, for the future here, because if he can continue on this upward track that he's on, he'll be a really good big man in this league. Uh, let's move on, because that's all I really have for that game. And we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Rams beating the Arizona Cardinals 18 to 7 to clinch their own playoff spot here in week 17. What did you think of this matchup? Well, it was very defensive game for both sides. Kyler Murray wasn't healthy. Jared Goff had the broken right thumb, which he still lingered into this week with. And, you know, just the defensive football game. In the, and when the Rams are in a defensive football game, there's a high, they are very likely to win that matchup because they do have Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, along with good pieces around them, Leonard Floyd as well. He's another good pass rusher for them. 
I mean, they have a lot of pieces that they can use and work around to really dominate defensive football games. That's what you saw in this. And just another thing that you have to touch on, they had another defensive touchdown in this game, the Rams did. The Rams, who have been racking them up this season as they are definitely, without a doubt, the number one defense in the NFL. And they showed that yesterday. They showed that last week. They've showed that all season. It was Troy Hill this week against the Cardinals that had the defensive touchdown. Uh, but it's just things like you're looking at a team like the Rams, and, and they don't win pretty. They don't win. They aren't, they aren't that glamorous offensive team that you're going to watch go out there and, and blow people out. You know, you're looking at, at John Walford, who, you know, rushed for 50 yards and passed for 230 yards, and, and they didn't score an offensive touchdown in this game. The Rams didn't, but they didn't need to do that to win because of how good their defense is. And it's reminding me, you know, just a little bit of how the Chicago Bears played in 2018 when they had the number one defense in the league and, and they were just winning games on that. And, and this team, just like I thought the Bears could in 2018, this team can make a pretty solid playoff run in the NFC, I think, just based on that defense. If they can get mediocre middle of the pack quarterback play from whoever they decide to have in, whether that's Walford or Goff or whoever they can, if, if they're both injured for next week, because I'm not sure the status of Goff's thumb. And of course, Walford left with a neck injury yesterday. Uh, if they can get middle of the pack quarterback play and a decent rushing attack from Malcolm Brown and Cam Akers, this is a team that could make a decent run in the playoffs this year just because of how good that defense is. And I totally agree with that. They, they are built perfectly to be one of those teams that sneaks into the playoffs despite how well the division was and make, a, make some real noise come playoff time and a potential Super Bowl run. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit about their attack against Seattle, uh, which happened yesterday because we were recording here on Sunday morning. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show, but that's really all we have on, on the Rams for now. We're going to move on to another NFL game, the Bills eliminating Miami in a blowout, 56-26. Miami, of course, heading into this game, I believe was the number one scoring defense in the NFL. They really weren't allowing a lot of points being scored. And then Buffalo came out, was down three to nothing after the first quarter and then scored 56 points in the last three quarters to run away with this one. You saw Matt Barkley come in, throw a touchdown pass. Josh Allen started the game. He threw three touchdown passes. You know, a bunch of wide receivers got involved in this one. If you look, they had four wide receivers that had 65 or more yards. Isaiah McKenzie had a punt return and everything that went wrong could go wrong for uh, Tua Tungavailoa and, and the Miami offense. And that Dolphins defense, which has performed very well this year, performed pretty poorly getting a 50-burger on their head. You know, Xavier Howard, he's a first-team All-Pro this year, led the league in interceptions. We'll talk about the All-Pro list later. Kyle Vinoy has also played well. They paid a lot for Byron Jones to play corner there for them to get this really, really bad defensive effort. In week 17, in a game that they needed to win to get a playoff spot, it's just not a good look going into the next season. No, and at 10-6, and six, it really it really is unfortunate for them that they did miss the playoffs because 10-6, and six, of course, would have been good enough in the NFC, but in the AFC, where the records were just better this year, it obviously was not enough for them to get in. And, and yeah, as you said, that Miami defense had played so well. I know I'd had them in a couple of fantasy football leagues throughout the year. They've been so consistent. They've been playing so well and to give up their you know highest scoring game of the season in week uh in week 
17 it's just it's just crazy i mean you look at it and and the, the games scores they gave up this year i'm looking at right now 33 to the chiefs was the most and then 31 to the bills the first time they played but other than that you know you're looking at they only had three games where they gave up more than 30 points this year and until week 17 when they gave up almost double that yeah no terrible performance from them that is for sure I think we're on the same page with the fact that when you looked at the AFC playoff picture going into week 17, we would have thought the Dolphins were probably the odd man out, out of all the resumes that were there. You know, it came down to them or the Colts or like the Browns, the end of it. And I think Miami was definitely the worst team out of those three that really made it to the playoffs. And that's, that's nothing to knock on Miami. They're just not there yet. Nobody expected them really to be, this good this year I didn't expect them to go 10 and 6 heading into the year I expected them to be you know maybe around 500 a little bit below 500 but nobody really expected 10 and 6 they got to a tongue of Iloa he's young he's still developing they've got draft picks to use this year and a lot of them including uh including Houston's what is now I believe the third overall pick uh in the NFL draft so this is a team that is on the up and up and should not hang their head at not making the playoffs this year yes it's disappointing coming into week 17 and having a chance at missing it but this is not a team that should that should be you know uh distraught and disappointed and and really change anything going into next year because they've got the draft capital and and they've got the cap room to bring in plenty of people and they've got a lot of good pieces on offense and as we said on that defense that will make them competitive in the future for a long time. Certainly, I totally agree. And moving on to the next day, Monday, the entire March Madness tournament is supposedly going to be held in Indianapolis. What do you think? What did you think of that announcement? Um, I'm not sure if it's all in Indianapolis. Uh, I believe it is in Indiana as as a whole, the state. I believe a lot of the games are going to be held uh, – in in indiana at the farmers coliseum at bankers life field house at lucas oil stadium uh and at hinkle field house but they're also going to be held a little bit all over the state as you see it in uh assembly hall in bloomington's going to be able to host some games and Mackey arena in purdue at purdue in west lafayette will hold some games uh, as well so you're looking all over the place as as they chipped in and Indiana is a basketball state, and I love the fact that the tournament's going to be held there. It's just going to be interesting to see how it goes because in a lot of these arenas and stuff like that, you see the games being held, you know, back-to-back, two games at the same time, something like that in some of these bigger arenas. That just won't be able to happen this year because of the COVID-19 pandemic. You know, you're looking at it, and you've got a huge arena like, like Lucas Oil Stadium where, you know, the Final Four would normally be played, and you could have two or three courts set up on the floor there uh, and all around. They just won't be able to do that. They're only going to be able to have one game at a time. Then they're going to have to clean everything and move on to the next game. So it's going to be interesting to see just from a logistical standpoint, how this tournament runs and how it goes and how fast they're going to be able to get through it, because it's obviously going to have to be slowed down a little bit because they aren't going to have as many locations to hold games and they aren't going to be able to hold games at the same time. But I do like the fact that at the end of the day, Indiana got it because Indiana is a great state for basketball and, and, you know, Indianapolis loves their basketball and it's going to be good there. I wonder if they will end up having any fans for this at all or not, but it'll be interesting. Yeah. I love it being in Indiana as well. It's a basketball state by nature and 
I think they deserved it pretty much over just about any state for basketball. So I, I enjoyed the decision for it being in Indiana and yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how it's run differently. Cause we didn't get to see it last year. Cause that's right when the pandemic really began for everybody. So it's going to be interesting to see how March madness is run this year. Yeah, for sure. And I just hope we get to the point where we're in March and we're able to have this tournament and we're able to have this because we've been seeing some college basketball games getting canceled already this year. Obviously, we've seen it with Mizzou this week. They already had a game. I believe it was supposed to be yesterday canceled and another game this week canceled for COVID-19 reasons. Uh, so it's just going to be interesting to to see what happens and if they can actually play the tournament. I really hope they're able to uh, here in March as it comes up. Speaking of basketball and Missouri, they fell to Mississippi State 78-63 in a game where they were outscored 51-24 in the second half. They went into the second half with a 12-point lead and ended up losing the game by 15 points uh, in pretty much an inexcusable second half for the Tigers and, and what happened there. So what did you think of this one? Well, definitely a tale of two halves, like you hinted at. When you're up by 12 going into the half and then you lose by 15, there's a huge, huge makeup there. They got outscored by 27 in the second second half, and they got dominated. I mean, Mississippi State, quite frankly, could not miss any shots in the second half. Mizzou did not help their case by not being able to score as efficiently in the second half, and they got – quite frankly, destroyed. And it's going to be interesting to see what a Conzo Martin team does because we've seen this before where the team starts shooting poorly. They start to perform bad. And we'll see. They're going to have to bounce back and perform well this year because this is the last year on his contract, I'm pretty sure. And it's going to be interesting to see if he can take this team back, work on what they need to work on, and then continue doing well in conference play because right now they're one and two in conference play. And we thought they were going to contend for – SEC regular season crown they still can but not a hard, not a hot start for Conzo Martin and the Tigers yeah absolutely and and the biggest thing that stood out for me when you look at the box score in this one was Mississippi State was only called for three fouls in the second half of this basketball game which if you're a basketball fan and you know basketball and you watch basketball especially college basketball you know that that's almost impossible it's almost impossible to commit three team fouls over a 20-minute period so that's what jumped out to me. And obviously it was coupled with really poor shooting uh, throughout the second half, but just in an inexcusable way to, uh, to lose to a team like Ole Miss or not Ole Miss, Mississippi state, who was not supposed to be great uh, in conference play this year, but who is playing now very well above expectations and looking at the SEC standings right now, we said a lot about Kentucky, but while they were in their non-conference play and yes, they are four and six, but they are three and zero in conference play now. So the Kentucky Wildcats up top of the conference with Alabama, who's 4-0, and and those two teams play uh, this upcoming week. So that'll be an interesting one to watch in the SEC. But yeah, Missouri is kind of right in the SEC where people thought they would be now at 1-2. and two. Uh, And it's something where they should be able to turn this around, and they need to turn this around because this team's good, and we saw it through the non-conference opening play. Totally. I totally agree with everything that you said. It's going to be interesting to see how the SEC shapes up. Yep. Uh, Moving on from Tuesday, let's move to Wednesday. And let's talk about 
Bradley Beal. He had a 60-point night once again in a loss to the Philadelphia 76ers, a game that they lost 141 to 136. Beal went 20 for 35. Uh, and as I said, finished with 60 points, but finished minus nine in the plus minus. And that is just the life of the Washington Wizards. The Wizards, of course, are, uh, this, and they played the 76ers. 76ers had Joel Embiid go for 38. Seth Curry went for 28, and they had a handful of other starters chip in for double figures along with Shake Milton off the bench with 19. So the Wizards are two and six. They went out, they got Russell Westbrook this offseason. Uh, they drafted Denny High, uh, and you know he's been starting for them. But what has gone wrong for the Wizards, and what can they do to fix it? Well, Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook—they're gonna—they're an interesting duo to play with each other just from the get-go. They're kind of both do- ball dominant players, so it's gonna be tough with that, especially with Westbrook. He's probably gonna start deteriorating at some point. He's been at the top of the league for a while. And that just genuine generally happens over time. And Bradley Beal just doesn't get any help in for the Wizards. I mean, the dude has had like back-to-back 40-point games, 40-point-plus games, and they lost both of them. He's the first player to do that since he did it in February, and they lost both of them last time he did too. So the man, despite his big scoring outputs, they don't win. And it's I think it just goes to show the lack of – depth they have around him him and John Wall when he when they were both there yeah and is this something where we're going to see is Bradley Beal going to start wanting out of Washington because they they have I mean they have him they have Westbrook they don't really have anybody else that is able to contribute in big uh, big ways offensively Uh, so is this going to be something where we start to see Bradley Beal maybe demand a trade to somewhere maybe try and take his career elsewhere because I believe since he got in the league, he's been in Washington. I don't think he's played anywhere else. If yeah. I remember correctly. And they haven't really been competitive at all while he's been there. So uh, where does, where does he, is he going to try and take his career in a, in a different direction? I mean, we're going to see a lot of it does fall in my opinion on Denny, the kid they drafted high, like you said, I mean, if he starts playing well, and he starts showing, you know, promise, I think he could certainly stay. We haven't really seen that yet. Granted, he's still very young and hasn't played a ton of games, but that—that that is an outlier as well. Bradley Beal is going to have to start seeing some future on this roster, or he is probably going to ask to go somewhere else because he's been there since 2012 now. Yeah, and he's, he's, yeah, he's given, the, what, this is year nine to Washington now, and, and they really haven't done much with it while he's been there. So, uh going to be interesting to see if how much longer he's a wizard if they are not you know starting to make the playoffs and get on that level that he would like to obviously be uh, as a team in other NBA news from Wednesday Orlando Magic guard Markel Fultz tore his ACL and will miss the remainder of the season this of course tough to see as Markel was starting to find his own a little bit in Orlando uh, after having a very shaky start to his career in Philadelphia uh, and obviously very unfortunate as his career takes another, you know, interesting turn. It feels like nothing is ever going completely right for uh, Markel Fultz. And what did you think about this? 
I was pretty upset because, you know, he's still a very young talent. I think now NBA culture, we start to look at players who are around folks' age, Lonzo Ball, for example, as well. You know, players who are like 20, 21, and they're labeled as busts right when they get into the league because they don't automatically produce. I think that was in his case as well. He started to play very well this year, probably averaging around the 15-point 15, 15 mark, if I remember looking at it correctly before. And he's... He's been playing well, and it's just really unfortunate that he got injured. Yeah, he was averaging 13 points a game. And, you know, it was just really unfortunate that we saw him get this injury because the Magic were performing very well at that moment, and they were the last undefeated team left in the league. So just unfortunate for the Magic. Yeah, and everybody, I think, wants to see this kid succeed. You know, everybody wants to see him figure it out because – he was, as you said, a top pick, and and he was disappointing in Philadelphia. Granted, Philly fans are one of the hardest to please in the NBA and just in general when it comes to sports. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I'd love to see the kid succeed, and I, I really hope he bounces back from this and, you know, comes back next year even stronger because he was just starting to figure it out, and it's really terrible to see as he was just starting to figure it out. Uh, so, all the best to Markel Fultz in his recovery from a torn ACL. Uh, to Thursday, we had a blockbuster trade in Major League Baseball. Francisco Lindor uh, was traded to the Mets from the Cleveland. I don't know. They aren't really going by the Indians anymore. So they were from Cleveland to New York. Uh, and the Mets also got Carlos Carrasco in the trade. While they acquired shortstop Andres Jimenez, shortstop Ahmed Rosario, outfielder Isaiah Green, and right-handed pitcher Josh Wolf. Of course, both of uh, Wolf and Green were the number nine and ten prospects in New York's uh, system, and Jimenez was also a top prospect. And Rosario, uh, he's played in some major league games, and he's been playing for uh, the Mets just a little bit as he's another young kid at shortstop, uh, but. The Mets get one of the best pieces in baseball with getting Lindor and getting Carrasco in the trade also helps bolster their already impressive uh, rotation as they look to get back to the World Series for the first time since 2015. Uh, I'm going to ask you as a, you know, Mets fan in quotation marks, uh, (laughs) what do you think about uh, getting Lindor and Carrasco onto the New York Mets? Grant, I don't know a ton about baseball. I I see Lindor, two-time Gold Glove winner, made his major league debut, you know, five, six years ago, and he's already put up an impressive resume in his short career. And that's a big pickup for the Mets with uh, Steve Cohen as the new owner, acting owner now for them. And, you know, getting another pitcher that's capable is really huge because they do have a great pitching staff, like you said. And this this deal looks like it's going to help them get in a win-now mode and potentially – Get back to the World Series, like you said. Correct. Currently, the uh, the favorites in the National League, I'd say, are the New York Mets, as we said, and the San Diego Padres, who have also been making plenty of moves this offseason. And I'm just reading through this article that you linked to this. It says the winner of this trade was obviously the Mets. The loser of this trade was obviously Cleveland because they gave up, you know, one of their star players. Uh but also, it's just going to be what happens with somebody like Jose Ramirez on Cleveland. Of course, he's now their last superstar, the last player on the Cleveland team 
that was part of that World Series run in 2016. They don't have any other players on the roster that were there in 2016 when this team lost in the World Series to the Cubs besides Jose Ramirez now. So I feel like it's just a matter of time until he also gets traded. And, and uh, you know, the Indians have now conceded this division to the White Sox and the Twins. So it's just going to be a two-horse race for the for the near future. And it's just a little bit disappointing to see because Cleveland was a team that was fun to watch and had fun players. And that's all gone now pretty much with Lindor leaving. We knew it was going to happen. We knew it was going to happen eventually. But, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Mets do. That's for sure. Of course, they have the Braves in that division who have been the team to beat, I'd say, in the past couple of years. But with, uh, of course, with DeGrom, Syndergaard, and now Lindor and Carrasco and all those other players that they have, including Pete Alonso, it's a really, really good team to watch out for in the National League. Uh, also on Thursday, in other trade news across other sports, Deshaun Watson could possibly want out of Houston and has reportedly quietly discussed with teammates the possibility requesting a trade from Houston, of course, upset with the DeAndre Hopkins trade out of Houston, upset with Bill O'Brien and the way that went and the exit that that went, upset with uh, the way things have been going in Houston this season as they finished under 500 again. And I believe what I saw yesterday was upset with the new hiring at GM that they made down there as well. So what do we think about Deshaun Watson? and wanting out of Houston. And if he goes out of Houston, where would he go? Well, Deshaun Watson, I understand why he's frustrated in Houston. Like you said, the the DeAndre Hopkins trade made zero sense at the time. Trading him for David Johnson on a mass contract at such an old age and being an injury-prone running back just made it a terrible deal for them. And then just getting a second-round pick was not ideal either. Just a bad trade overall, getting rid of one of the best run- wide receivers in the NFL. And then he also wanted Eric Bieniemy to be their head coach. He talks to Patrick Mahomes a lot. They're in the same QB draft class. And they're pretty close friends. And Mahomes put in the good word for Bieniemy. Mahomes or Deshaun liked what Mahomes was saying about Bieniemy and wanted Bieniemy on the roster. And they didn't even interview him. I think he even expressed this to the Texans. The Texans said they were going to let him have his decisions, like you saw with Mahomes with drafting Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Mahomes wanted Clyde. He said that Clyde would be a good addition, and they drafted him when he was available at 32. Turned out to be a good trade or good selection for them and listening to your star quarterback. And that's really what Houston has failed to do. And I wouldn't be surprised if Deshaun left. Now, for places for him to go, a team I could realistically see potentially picking him up is the Patriots, actually. New England Patriots picking him up with, with Brady. I think Bill Belichick would really excel with Deshaun Watson on his team. Like, that would be a really scary deal because Deshaun can do anything you ask of him. He can run the ball, throw it, improvise, and he makes big-time pl- plays. No, no moment is too big for him. And he's just always making big-time plays. So I could certainly see him being on the New England Patriots in the foreseeable future. Yeah, I have to say it because I'm a Bears fan, but Ryan Pace has made the trade for a superstar after a great season in their prime before when he went out and got Khalil Mack 
And as a Bears fan, I'd say I'd, I'd offer anything that the Texans really wanted for Deshaun Watson at this point. Uh, I think it's important that the Bears go out and they get a franchise quarterback, something that they have not had for a while. Uh, and that they, uh, that they offer the house for Watson and see what the Texans say. Uh, another team that we're seeing reports of just here recently in the past half hour or so is a swap between uh, for Deshaun Watson and Tua Tungavailoa in addition to getting, I believe it's the pick, the third pick back uh, from the Dolphins as the Dolphins are uh, trying to you know, make a move and, and compete in the AFC as well. Uh, so that's another interesting that's another interesting uh, rumor that we just heard come out here in, in the last half hour while we've been recording this. That's it. Yeah. That's an interesting one. <clears throat> yeah. That's an interesting one. I'm, I don't think I'd accept that trade though. I don't think two is on the same level as Deshaun. You're going to want more equity. If you're going to trade a franchise QB, I could certainly see the Texans trying to savor this relationship because when I'm thinking of QBs, I'd I'd have I'd want to have within the next, you know, ten years or so. Deshaun Watson's probably like number two behind Mahomes, in my opinion. I mean, he's that good. He's that special, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, if if you're asking who you want, I'd say if you're asking who you want to start a franchise with when it comes to quarterbacks this year, and who you want to have around your franchise in the 2020 decade here say your op your best three options are Patrick Mahomes Deshaun Watson and probably Josh Allen right now uh, are, are your three guys that you'd want to start a franchise with and run with as your franchise QB for the next decade so I completely agree with that and if, if you're the Texans if Deshaun Watson will stay and he is okay with staying in Houston you need to keep him doesn't matter I mean, if he wants out and says he's not going to play and says he needs to leave and needs to go somewhere else then that's fine then you should trade him he's really not going to play and really doesn't want to play there but if there's any chance you can keep him in Houston you need to keep him in Houston because Deshaun Watson's do not come around uh, very often <laughs> no they do not I totally agree with that but yeah so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out here as we continue uh, through the NFL off season as we start, that'll heat up here as we get into the next couple of months or so. So that'll be interesting. And we'll keep you updated on anything that happens with that. And we'll talk about that here on the show as we move throughout the, the end of winter and the beginning of spring on Friday, the NFL announced their 2020 all pro team. Actually it's the associated press that announces the all pro team, but uh they started with, I mean, do we need to go through all these positions? Do you want me to go through all these positions? You look at your big names. The quarterback was Aaron Rodgers. The running back was Derrick Henry. Of course, the tight end was Travis Kelsey with the wide receivers being Adams, Diggs, and Hill. Uh, a very solid offensive line here. I'm not going to go through all these names. Two Green Bay uh, players on that list. Uh, but, yeah, no, what do you think of the offense? I mean, I had no real complaints. I thought all the picks were pretty – we're pretty good, at least for the skill positions. Now, obviously, the the offensive line. I'm not an expert in offensive linemen. The list looks good to me. Obviously, headlined by Quentin Nelson, the two Packers on the a tackle and center. I think I think all pros mean much more to linemen, especially offensive linemen, because they don't have stats. So it really helps bolster a you know Hall of Fame career if you have a lot of all pros. So I certainly think that all pro is more important. To the offensive lineman and pretty much any other position. Yeah, no, this looks pretty solid. This looks pretty, pretty solid to me. Uh, 
I've heard the argument. I've heard the argument saying, why is DeAndre Hopkins not uh, first team? Not really sure who you'd put him over at this point, but that's really the only thing that I had heard. You can't argue with Aaron Rodgers, probably the MVP of the league. Uh, Derrick Henry, of course, rushing for 2,000 yards. Travis Kelsey breaking tight end receiving records. Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill with, what, 16, 17 receiving touchdowns. Stephon Diggs leading the league in receiving yards. Can't really complain about any of those names, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so either. I thought they did a good job picking the offensive side. Uh, on defense, you got your edge rushers, TJ Watt from Pittsburgh, Miles Garrett from Cleveland. Obviously, those two playing against each other tonight in the playoffs. That'll be a fun one to watch. Uh, Aaron Donald, probably the best defensive player that you know some of us have ever seen play football. <laughs> uh, headlining the inside on the interior, along with DeForest Buckner, who had a very good season in Indianapolis this year. The middle linebackers, Fred Warner, Bobby Wagner, and Darius Leonard, along with Xavier Howard, Jalen Ramsey at corner, and then Tyron Matthew, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Buda Baker at the safeties. Of course, Minka and uh, Buda Baker did tie in the voting for safety. So that's your defense. Yes, sir. And and I like the defense. I've heard the Roquan Smith argument for the Bears, and I think he certainly could have made the All-Pro if you just look, if you just look at his statistics compared to any of these guys, he had more tackles than any of them. He had more tackles for loss than any of them, and he was tied for the most in interceptions among any of them. In addition to adding, you know, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, and, and a bunch of QB hits and a bunch of pass breakups as well. It's just if you look at you just look at the stats, and he should have been there. The man had 18 tackles for loss this season. 18. None of these other middle linebackers had even close to double digits. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, he just, he would deserve to be a first team all pro over any one of these three names, I'd say. Yeah. And looking at the numbers, he does, he does present that argument because the man, the man does have better numbers. What, I mean, it's like what else did he need to do to become a first team all pro? He finished tied for sixth in the middle linebackers voting in all pro. That's just, un, that's just unbelievable. That's ridiculous. You can't tell me that there were six dudes better than him at middle linebacker this year. It, it just, it, it just isn't true. <laughs> yeah. I, I would have to agree with you on that. Uh. As we move to special teams, though, Jason Sanders, another great year in Miami. Jake Bailey, New England, the punter. Uh, of course, New England punted a lot this season, so that <laughs> that helped his case. Uh, Cordell Patterson of Chicago, the kick returner. He had one for a touchdown this year. Gunnar Olszewski from New England, the punt returner. And then you had a couple of special teamers and long snappers on the list as well. Uh, special teams looked pretty good to me. Uh, and, yeah, what do we think? First team yeah. looks good. First team, yeah. I, I, I don't really uh, – except for Roquan, I think they did pretty well with the first team. Yeah, I can agree with that. Uh, as we look, should we, should we go through the second team as well? Would you like to? Um, yeah, we can highlight probably – yeah, we can highlight some stuff. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes tying for the quarterback on offense uh, here with the second team All-Pro. Alvin Kamara in New Orleans being the running back. You know, if Derrick Henry didn't rush for 2,000 yards, Kamara would have had a legitimate claim to be on first team, but with 2,000 yards by Derrick Henry, uh, it's a little tough to not give him first team. I don't understand why they left the tight end position vacant here. That's 
doesn't really make sense with me. I really would have loved for them to put Darren Waller there at the second team tight end because I think that he deserves to be there and he's probably the second best tight end in football right now. So I would have loved to see them throw Darren Waller in that empty spot. Uh, in terms of wide receivers, DeAndre Hopkins, there he is on the second team, along with Justin Jefferson, great rookie season for Minnesota, Calvin Ridley from Atlanta, and then DK Metcalf and Cole Beasley uh, tying. I would have loved to see Allen Robinson in there. I don't think Cole Beasley, even though he had a great year, should have been in there. If you look at his receiving stats, there are a handful of guys that you could have said, including Allen Robinson, like I said, but plenty of other ones as well that you could have said been in there. You should have been in there instead of Cole Beasley. But other than that, that looks pretty good to me. And then we aren't really going to go through the linemen here again, but looks good. Yeah, I would agree. It does look good. I would have liked to see Darren Waller in that tight end spot as well. Uh, on defense, Khalil Mack on the edge, along with Sedarius Smith from Green Bay. Uh, interior, got Chris Jones from your Kansas City Chiefs and Cam Hayward from the Steelers. Your linebackers, Devin White from Tampa, Demario Davis from New Orleans, and then Levante David and Roquan Smith tied for second team in the last linebacker spot. At corner, you have Jair Alexander and Tredavious White. These corners this year in the NFL were just so good. When you look at the first team corners, uh, with Xavier Howard leading the league in interceptions and Jalen Ramsey, we know what Jalen Ramsey can do and how he is one of the best quarters corners in the NFL and has been for a long time. But if you even look at these second teams, Jair Alexander can shut down anyone at any time. And Tredavious White has once again been one of the best corners in football as well. And then tying it up, uh, the safeties, Jamal Adams and Jesse Bates from Cleveland. So what do you think? I'm happy. I'm happy to see your boy Roquan. I didn't know he made the second team. I'm happy to see him there. Yeah, he made it in on a tie for the last linebacker spot in the second team. But yeah, I don't really have any other comments. I just like looking at the all pro teams. They're pretty they're pretty exciting to discuss and just talk about. Yep, for sure. And then of course when you look at special teams, the only real name that jumps out off the page is Justin Tucker with yet another all pro at the kicker position. He is one of the best and will, you know, retire when he eventually does as one of the best kickers in NFL history. So there's your all pros. Uh, that was fun. But uh, uh, so we'll, uh, we'll see who performs the best in the playoffs. Of course, that's the, that's the ultimate test. You can be an all pro, but it really matters whether you're holding the trophy at the end of the season or not. <laughs> uh, Michigan head coach, Jim Harbaugh signs a four-year extension through the 2025 season. We know how I think about this. We know what I've said on the show about this. So what do you think? You know, I mean, it's not for winning. You, you are right when they say they, when you say they aren't winning, but the man has created some buzz around the Michigan program that keeps them in kind of a national conversation just in general. And they have done a good job recruiting this year is kind of an outlier. You're just, you know, based on the pandemic and where that left probably a lot of programs, not using it as an excuse, but a lot of teams didn't perform as well as they probably would have hoped and usually do in normal seasons cases. So it's an interesting extension. Would have maybe liked to see it maybe after next year, his last contract year prior to this, but I'm, I don't hate the hire. It's just not, or I don't hate the contract. It's just not, it took me by surprise. Just doesn't it just doesn't make sense to me? He's under 500 against ranked teams in the Big Ten. He hasn't won a bowl game since his first year at Michigan, and and he hasn't beaten Ohio State. Those are all things you need to do. Those are all boxes you need to check to remain the head coach at a major college football program, and he hasn't checked any of them. 
that's how I mean I'm not going to go into it again and, and go on a long tangent again because it's just not necessary. I think that if they're happy with losing to Ohio State uh, for the next four years, that's fine. <laughs> Resign Jim Harbaugh. All you need to know about this is the fact that Ohio State's football verified official Twitter was liking tweets about how he resigned an extension. That's all you need to know. If, if your biggest rival is happy with your coaching resigning and your coaching signing, it's not a great, it's not a great look. That is a good point. That is a good point. I mean, that's I mean, that's the end of what I have for that conversation. So Lamelo and Lonzo Ball matched up for the first time ever on Friday. I believe it was the first time that brothers that were what top five picks matched up against each other in the NBA and the Charlotte Hornets came out on top one eighteen one ten. of course uh, LaMelo ball finished one assist shy of being the youngest player to achieve a triple double, which we will touch on here in a second. And, and Lonzo, uh, you know, only chipped in five points <laughs> for the, for the Pelicans and, and, which ball brother do you think at the end of the day is going to have the better NBA career? Because obviously this is just the start for LaMelo and Lonzo's been in for a few years and hasn't really been too impressive, but he's been a decent role player. So what do you think? It's going to be interesting right now. You certainly have to look at LaMelo and how he started in Charlotte. It helps that he's in a program that doesn't require immediate success like the Los Angeles Lakers did with Lonzo. So we're going to have to see well, I think either it's a toss-up right now. I'm leaning toward LaMelo right now. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. I think he's just in a better situation for him to grow at the moment. And, you know, it's good. It'll be interesting to see, though. It's going to be fun watching these two match up uh, here in the future. Uh, I really like those Hornets uniforms that they were wearing when they played the Lakers or the Pelicans, the light blue Buzz City ones. I'm just a big fan of the uh, – the city edition uniforms this year. They're, they're, they look really good, except for Miami's. Not a big fan of Miami's. The gender I, don't really like that, I don't really like that pink and blue fade. It's not my favorite. Yeah, I, I the Vice jerseys usually work fine. This year did not, in my opinion. I, I personally don't like the look either. Uh, but, yeah, no, that's all we have about that game. Of course, neither of those two teams really planning on competing much this season. But it was an interesting story to watch Lamelo and Lonzo uh, match up. Uh, Steph Curry again on the list here for Friday with a big comeback against the Los Angeles Clippers. That game was won by the Warriors, 115 to 105. Weren't they down by like 30 points in this game at some point? They were down by 22 was the most they ever got to. But Steph came back real quick. I mean, I had the game on like four or five minutes left in the third quarter. They were down by double digits. And then by the end of the third, they were either tied or it was a one possession game and it was crazy I mean Steph showed again people need to start putting some respect on his name because he's a back-to-back MVP first unanimous MVP three-time champion and is never willing to back down from a challenge of course 36 minutes 38 points on 13 of 24 shooting we talked about how whenever he shoots above 50 percent it's impressive just because of the amount of three-point jump shots he takes uh, and yeah, no, that was, it was huge. And, and you watched, you watched another, another big ice uh, shot over Paul George in this one. Of course, Paul George trying to close out and Steph Curry hitting one right on his head. Not a bad day. If you're looking at the Clippers, at least from their starters, uh, four of them in double figures, but man, we were talking last year about the Clippers 
and their their bench and what they did on their bench and how their bench was one of the better ones in the NBA. Their bench did not help them in this game. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I think the biggest problem with the Clippers is that when it comes to late in the game, they just don't have reliable options of scoring the basketball, in my opinion. Kawhi isn't necessarily an isolation player who can just get you buckets whenever, though we did in 2018 for the Raptors. It's not a reliable option. And Paul George, <clears throat> he's just kind of deteriorated after all the injuries he's sustained, which he's sustained a lot. But just look at just look at these numbers. You're looking at bench players. Avisa Zubac, 17 minutes, minus 26. Lou Williams, 16 minutes, minus 25. Like the bench is coming in. The bench is coming in and they're getting outscored by 25 points a game. <laughs> like that can't happen. <laughs> No, it totally can. And yeah, they are having a problem with them losing Montrez Harrell to the Lakers, the people right across the pond from them. I mean, it's it's going to be tough for them to to put together a good year. They've started off decent. They're six and four. They're OK. You know, it's going to be tough to beat the Lakers this year. It's really going to be tough to beat and compete with some of the teams from from the Western Conference, because there's a lot of good teams, and I would certainly argue that they got worse. Yeah, speaking of that, I actually was not watching this game because I was watching the Bulls, who actually almost beat the Lakers on Friday, and I don't think it was in that game, but I believe it was three points, two points, something like that. Uh, a big game, and just because I have to touch on it, because once again, Chicago sports and a Bulls fan. Bulls are actually fun to watch this year. You're watching a lot of their losses this year. They lost to the Kings by like two. They lost to the Lakers by two or three. Even when they lose this year, this team is more fun to watch than they were last year. Like some of the losses that they've had this year so far are more fun to watch than some of the wins they had last year. So it's just exciting time to be a Bulls fan, I'd say, as they are starting to compete with some of the other guys. Of course, you can look at it and say whatever you want with Anthony Davis missing against, you know, against the Bulls the other night when he was out. But I mean, still. Patrick Williams guarding LeBron was was fun to see and he held him to to pretty decent uh what I'd say for a 19-year-old guarding one of the greatest players of all time. I would agree with that as well. I saw the <clears throat> I saw the fourth quarter highlight tape. He was he was contesting on LeBron and giving him some problems with those. I was gonna say LeBron just made some ridiculous LeBron type plays with those fadeaway jumpers, the turning spinning ones where he jumps and fades back. It's just LeBron James will be LeBron James, and there's not much you can do about that. <laughs> that is true. Uh, on Saturday, let's get to a little bit of NFL action. The Buffalo Bills beat the Indianapolis Colts 27-24 in what was the most entertaining game of the day. Of course, Phillip Rivers once again trying to lead a game-winning drive with about two and a half, three minutes left and failed to do so. Buffalo started out a little bit slow, didn't have the greatest of, of games, but got the job done for their first playoff win since 1995. Josh Allen, 325, two touchdowns, no interceptions, added 50 rushing yards and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, 128 receiving yards and a touchdown. Uh, for Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor carried the ball 21 times for 78 yards. Michael Pittman had 90 yards receiving, almost had a touchdown that Phillip Rivers just barely overthrew when Phillip Rivers passed for 310 and two touchdowns. If you look at the team stats, uh, uh, let me take a look here real quick. Indianapolis is 472 yards in this game was their most all season, and they were not able to get the job 
done in Buffalo. Yeah, and this game was really exciting. I would say certainly best game of the day. And the Colts played them very well. Arguably could have won the game if, you know, Jonathan Taylor catches that football. I saw they had another bad incompletion and drop on that last, on those closing moment drive that they had. And Josh Allen played well. Phillip Rivers, I thought, played pretty well as well. Both teams, this was a very competitive game. And we saw the Bills narrowly defeat narrowly defeat the Colts. It was an exciting game. Yeah, and the Colts were the Colts did slide in as the as the last team in, in the seventh seed this year, but they were a better football team than that. They were a good football team and in different years they would have been a lot higher than the last wild card team. So it'll be interesting to see if Phillip Rivers decides to hang him up this year after this loss or if he will be back in Indianapolis last year. It looked like from his post game press conference after this one that he will either be a Colt next year or he will be coaching high school football somewhere. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what his decision is. Uh, as if he, if he did call it quits, what a career, because he's been one of the uh, more fun quarterbacks in the NFL for a long time with his trash talking and his mic'd up stuff and, and just his performance on the field. While it hasn't been, it hasn't been up to, you know, an elite level over the past couple of years, I'd say he was fun to watch for a long time there in the middle of the 2010s decade. I would totally agree. Yeah, one of the legends and is definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. Yeah, as we move on, the Los Angeles Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks 30-20 to in your first big upset of the postseason. The Rams, of course, a wildcard team taking down their division rival Seattle Seahawks. Uh, John Wofford started the game, left it injured with a neck injury, actually ended up in the hospital during the game. And Jared Goff came in to finish it, passed for 155 and a touchdown. The biggest story... For the Rams on offense was Cam Akers getting the ball 28 times on the ground and adding 130 uh, rushing yards to that with a touchdown and having 45 receiving yards. As we talked about earlier when we were talking about the Rams-Cardinals game, the Rams added another defensive touchdown. This time it was Darius Williams with the interception return for a touchdown on a fantastic play where he jumped a screen route to DK Metcalf to return that for a touchdown. But let's talk a little bit about Seattle. Uh, They looked like they were one of the best teams in the NFL at the beginning of the season for about the first six weeks. Everyone was talking about Russell Wilson for MVP, all that kind of stuff. And then he finished with 174 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, and 50 on the ground. A very disappointing game for Seattle to end the season. Yeah, and like you said, Cameron Akers had a phenomenal day. Easily the best offensive performer out of anyone in this game with 131 yards and one TD. Russell Wilson struggled again in the postseason. I mean, this has got to be a blemish on his record. He didn't even get to 50% completion percentage. He threw the pick six, like you mentioned. Just a poor day for Seattle. Another disappointing playoff performance, which – you know, they're going to be one of those teams that are looking at, wow, we had Russell Wilson for, you know, X amount of years and we only won one title. So it's it's going to be interesting. I was impressed with how Jared Goff played despite his thumb injury. He didn't play phenomenal, obviously, but he's dealing with probably really excruciating pain. And he 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 showed his grit like J- Justin Fields did last week. So I was impressed with Jared Goff in that Rams defense, headlined by Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. Yeah, we obviously hope Aaron Donald is okay. He did suffer what looked like a rib injury. And I don't think he returned after he suffered that injury. 
Uh, maybe he did for a few plays, but he didn't for an extended period of time. So we hope he is okay and good to go next week because that'll be a big hit for whoever they play next week if Aaron Donald is not able to go. Uh, and then your nightcap was between the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Washington football team. Of course, Washington found out in about the middle of the day that they would not be with their starting quarterback, Alex Smith. So Taylor Heineke got the start and he played well, 300 yards through the air, one touchdown, one interception. The interception came on a tipped ball. He also rushed for 45 yards and a touchdown, but it's tough when you're going up against the greatest of all time, Tom Brady, 381. Two touchdowns, Leonard Fournette added almost 100 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Antonio Brown got in the end zone. Chris Godwin got in the end zone. And Tampa, well, it was an eight-point game uh, at the end. Felt like they controlled this one for most of it. So what do you think? Well, I mean, I would certainly say the Washington football team and just the NFC East representative was certainly not going to be favored to win their game. The NFCs has struggled all year. They they got in the playoffs at seven and nine. Had the controversial win last week. I mean, the Bucks just outperformed them. I mean, they they outmatched them, out talent them. They have one of the best receiving cores, is not if not the best in the NFL. And it showed they put up 31 points. If Tampa's able to put up 31, they're usually going to be able to win the game. Tom looked pretty good. I was impressed with that diving diving play by Heineke or however you say his name, Heineke. I think so. Is that how you say it? Yep. I think so. Heineke. Yeah. He played, he played, he played well. I mean, they showed this was about peak for Washington this year, you know, making it to the wild card pretty much for any of those teams in the NFC. So certainly not something to hang your hat on for Washington. They are going to be able to build around Chase Young and be a ferocious defense for years to come. Yeah, no, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch and see if Washington can, you know, finish above 500 next year and take the division. Of course, Tampa Bay played extremely well, even though they were going up against backup quarterback. The defense, the defense still played pretty well for Tampa Bay, but that offense is something else. Uh, and and everybody chipped in. Everybody chipped in today uh, on offense or yesterday. Uh, excuse me. Yesterday on offense. Uh, so. Sunday, we've got three NFL games. Last week, we both went 13-3 and three in our NFL picks. That's a phenomenal week for both of us, probably both of our best weeks ever. I'm not sure if anybody – if we have ever gone 14-2 and two across a week of picking the NFL, so I'm quite happy with both of us going 13-3. and three. And we got three games today to pick. So let's start off with the noon game kicking off here shortly between Baltimore and Tennessee. I've got the Titans in that matchup. I just think Derrick Henry is going to be too much for them. He's going to be able to control the game. I th- I could see Ryan Tannehill having another big day. They don't have Earl Thomas back there anymore. So it's just going to be even more of a field day. Give me the Titans. I've got the Ravens. Lamar Jackson gets it done today for his first playoff victory and starts to attempt to silence some of the doubters of his playoff performances. Uh as we continue on with the day, we got the Saints and the Bears in the middle of the day. What do you think of that one? You know, I think the Saints just outmatch them too much. Even with Michael Thomas out, it's just Michael really, Thomas is in. It's just really, oh, he is in. Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara both active and should start today. Roquan Smith and well, Darnell Mooney both out for the Bears. 
Oh, then, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a field day for the Saints then, if that's the case. Give me the Saints by double digits. I have the Saints as well, as much as it pains me to say that. Uh, I just think that it'll be too much. It'll be too much, especially without Roquan. Uh, And then the last game of the day is between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Of course, Cleveland's uh, been dealing with COVID issues all week. They're missing their head coach. Uh, missing their head coach, Kevin Stefanski. But from what it looks like from Schefter tweeting here just a few minutes ago, all of their tests this morning have come back negative. So we are good to go for tonight's game. I've got the Steelers in this one. I think their defense is going to be too much. They almost beat them playing Mason Rudolph. They're going to have an upgrade with Big Ben and Juju playing and all you know, being at full strength, so I got the Steelers picking up a win. That's exactly what I was thinking. They almost beat them last week when they weren't at full strength. They'll be back at full strength this week, and the Steelers will uh, be able to get it done. Let's go to moments, upsets, and what to watch for. You want to lead us off? Well, my moment of the week happened on Wednesday with Peyton Pritchard's game-winning putback on the Miami Heat in those Vice City jerseys, I'm pretty sure. And just a good moment for Peyton Pritchard. He's playing phenomenal this year. He's really making a case to start for that team. He's put up incredible numbers being a first-round pick. A surprising first-round pick, but he's been certainly one of the best rookies this season. Not surprising to you. You wanted him to be a first-round pick, and you said he should be a first-round pick. So good work with that. He's been chipping in and and helping very much off the bench for the Celtics. Uh, mine, I'm taking Man City beating Man United in the League Cup semifinals, heading to another cup final at Wembley, this time against Tottenham, uh, behind goals from John Stones and Fernandinho and another great defensive performance for the boys in the sky blue as they beat Man United 2 to nothing. And then for my upset pick of the week, I'm picking Oklahoma State again. I was really impressed with them in their loss to West Virginia. And I'm picking them to beat Kansas on Tuesday. I think they get it done. Um, I am going to take Michigan State over Iowa on Thursday night. Of course, Michigan State's been a little bit disappointing, especially in the Big Ten so far. Ohio or Iowa probably the front runner uh, at the time uh, that we're recording this in the Big Ten. So taking Michigan State over it. And for my what to watch for this week, it's the Rams QB situation. You know, Goff has the broken right thumb, John Wolford with the neck injury. And Aaron Donald, like you said, is dealing with that rib injury, which if you're going to sideline Aaron Donald in a playoff game, it's got to be some excruciating pain. So I'm just interested to see what comes out of that and how well they perform next week. Yeah, and my what to watch for, I have two things that I just want to say real quick. This first one's going to be Steph Curry. Uh, We've obviously talked a lot about his performances over the past week. We'll have to see what he can keep up with next week. They've got a bunch of games. Uh, So including one against the Nuggets on TNT later in the week. So it'll be a fun one to watch for Steph Curry. My second thing is, how is this Nickelodeon broadcast of the NFL going to go today? That's my second what to watch for. So I will probably be watching on CBS just because Jim Nance and Tony Romo are on the call and it is the Bears. So I'm not going to probably be watching it on Nickelodeon because... As a Bears fan, I probably wouldn't enjoy that as much. But if anybody watches this on Nickelodeon, I want to hear how it goes. So uh, it should be interesting to see. Yeah, that is interesting as well. 
But yeah, that's about as much time as we have for today. You've listened to the weekly walkthrough. We appreciate you listening. We will be in the studio next week. It's been about a month or so, something like that. And so I'm excited to get back in there with you. Do you want to pick, fastly pick your uh, college football playoff or national championship between Ohio State? I've I've got Bama. I'm sorry, I've got Bama. It's the easy pick, uh, but it's, yeah, we got to take them. It's just too easy. But yeah, we appreciate you looking at our breakdown of this week in sports. We'll be back same time, same place, officially now on KCU 88.1. We will see you all then. Be safe and have a good week.